fire burns and it consumes your flesh. But that fire will not consume your flesh. But yet the worms will be crawling in and out and they will be eating your flesh. And then they'll throw it up and it will come back on your body and they will eat it again. There will be these wicked beings that will come and pick you up and tear you apart. And they will beat you and cause you to suffer tremendously. And there will be no end to it. Here, you think when you go through pain and suffering, a little bit of it on earth, you can only go through a little bit of pain and suffering and then you're going to be okay. And there's people today that have gone through pain and suffering that thought that if I could just die, I would be okay. And so they either take their life or they die or they get killed or whatever or they kill themselves in a car wreck or whatever because they think they've undergone all the agony and pain they could ever bear and they get through with what they're doing on earth and immediately they open their eyes in another place as these ghastly beings come and torture them and taking them into the pit of hell. It's not a game, folks, we're playing. We play it like it's a game. But it's not a game. It's real. Just like Jesus is the one that heals us and saves us and gives us grace. And we go out and accept supposedly this free grace. And then we go live like we want to. We go down and get drunk. Take drugs. Hang out with the wild women and men. Go down to the strip clubs. Do exactly what you want to do. Lie, steal, cheat, commit adultery, and everything. Thinking, and don't come to church because I don't want to go to church. But yet when you die, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to heaven. No, you ain't. If you don't enjoy worshiping God here in church, you're certainly not going to enjoy worshiping Him in heaven. You ain't going. I want you to turn your back books to Matthew 25. Today there's three sets of parables in the chapter 25. We're going to try our best to hit all three of these if possible. But that little bit of those screams and things you heard a while ago, if you'd only seen the movie that I saw that went with those, and the ghastly beings that were in there. Demons, they're not beautiful. Where did demons come from? Demons used to be wonderful angels, beings of grandeur. Magnificent beings. But God gave them a free will too. Just like He did you and me. He gave even the angels a free will. And there was one beast called Lucifer. The most beautiful of all the angels. He had a throne. And he received the glory from the other angelic beings, and he passed it directly to the Father. That's how powerful he was. He walked in the garden of God. He was perfect in all his ways until greed came into his heart. And he said, I will exalt my throne above the Most High. No. The height of that stupidity to think you can exalt your throne above God, the Creator. 
the King of kings and Lord of lords. So there's war in heaven. And this beast, the devil, he's so sly that he deceived one third of the angelic host and got them to go with him. So if you think you can defeat the devil without the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're stupid. He will defeat you. He will deceive you. He will master you. He will drive you into the pit of hell and he'll take you screaming there and you'll be there forever with him. He's a wicked beast. Let me tell you, he's still running around out there. He's been defeated by our king. But most of us don't know it. So I'm going to give you some scripture today in Matthew 25. Starting at verse 1, that gives us, the Lord gives us three different parables about the kingdom of heaven and what can happen to you. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. If you've got a different translation, it'll say the same thing. I studied this in the King, New King James, the King James, and the New Living and they all say the same thing, but I decided to use the notes I made from the NLT because it was so clear. Verse 2 says, five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. That appears to be the way the church is today. About half of us are wise and half of us are foolish. When you come to church, you never see more than half of the people there. If you go to a church where half of the people that normally come there are there, you've got a good church. All the churches I was associated with over my life, anywhere from 15 to 35 percent, showed up for church on Sunday. The rest of them stayed at home or went to the lake or done something else. And 15 to 25 percent of that small minority of the people tithed, which God says we are to tithe. And we don't. So, he calls us foolish. There were five foolish And he says, and the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Verse 5, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all lay down and slept. How many of us lay down and slept? All of us. The church is asleep today, as a rule. God is gouging one or two of us every once in a while to let us know that there's a magnificent set of promises that He's made out there, that if we'll purify ourselves and walk with Him, He'll do great and mighty things. I mean, there's a miraculous world to live in if you'll walk in it. It's available. I've touched the hem of His garment. I want a whole handful of Him. You know, I don't want to just pray simple prayers and see little things happen. I want to see great and awesome things happen. Yes, it's a wonderful blessing when I see this lady back here that came up here a while ago and said she had all those things wrong with her, and now then she's in health. Well, if she'll stay with God, she can walk in that divine health the rest of your life, young lady. But you're going to have to stay in the Word. You're going to have to keep your quiet time with God. You're going to have to make Him the Most High God your dwelling place. You've been spending more time in the Word lately than ever before, Right? Amen. See, that's what's happened. We don't spend that time. So, right now, almost 100% of us are foolish. We're asleep. The church is not awake 
to hear what the Lord's saying. But at midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come and welcome him. He comes when you're not expecting him. At midnight, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. They didn't prepare. How many people do you know today is not preparing for life? They're foolish. I think about when I went to school, when I got back from Vietnam. I think about when I went to school. Some of the boys in class, I wanted to master my courses. I wanted to make perfect scores. Oh, Thurman, come on. Let's go down to the bar and have a couple of beers. I said, no. I ain't got time to go down to that stupid bar and drink a couple of beers. I got classes to, uh, to take care of. I got tests to take. Those boys didn't turn out too successful. They didn't prepare. Yeah, they had fun, they thought. But they didn't prepare. Some of them didn't make it through school. Some of them dropped out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Sir, open the door for us. But he called back, I don't know you. How would you like to be a member of the church and the king come one day and you miss it? How would you like to miss it? You heard those screams and that agony up there a while ago? That's only a little tiny sample of what it's going to be for those that miss God. I can't fathom. If I were to lock these doors and light a raging fire in here and turn 500 rattlesnakes loose in here and all of you had to be in here with them, there's not anybody in here that wouldn't be screaming and climbing the walls. And that's nothing compared to what hell is going to be. In fact, I wouldn't even have to light a fire. If I was to come up here right now and just dump a sack with just 25 rattlesnakes in here, there ain't nobody in here wouldn't scream and jump and climb the walls. Is that right? Sure. As I was listening this last week to a lady that had been to hell, the Lord took her. And this man was asking, what did you see? She said, there's snakes and rats and things running all over the place down there. I said, it's awful and it's hot and there's flames of fire and pools of fire and people are in those pools of fire. They're screaming. I said, there's demons coming out running swords through them and t- tormenting them and they're screaming. This one woman, she said there was a woman I could see her. I could tell she'd been a beautiful woman on earth. 
And the demons were tormenting her. And when we came by, she said, this woman had come up and said, Lord, give me another chance. I will serve you now. And the woman said, I asked, who is that woman? The Lord said, oh, she was a movie star. I called her to be one of my evangelists. But she rejected me. She wouldn't do what I told her. She wanted the fame and power of Hollywood. So she rejected me. So now she's going to spend eternity here. And she was begging. Please, Lord, give me another chance. And he said, she said, I heard a voice from the Father say, No, judgment has been set. It cannot be changed. And so he said, Jesus turned to walk away. And as he did, said this woman saw she wasn't going to get anything. So she started cursing and screaming at him and telling him how lousy he was. Yeah, sure, we'd be obedient, wouldn't we? As long as we get what we want. Isn't that amazing? We act like we're playing a game here on earth. We're afraid to talk to people about Jesus. But yet every person we don't talk to that don't believe in Jesus, that don't believe in doing these things of prayer, that person, let me tell you, it's just like a Catholic priest said the other day to a man. A man come in and told him, he said, I'm not coming back to confession no more. I don't believe in hell. There's an organization come to my house and tells me there ain't no such thing as hell. You know who that is? Jehovah's Witness. They don't believe there's a hell, and they'll tell you there's not one. He said, I'm going to go with them. They say there is no hell. There's no consequences to suffer. The Catholic priest looked at him and said, five seconds after you get there, you will believe. And that's true. He may not believe now. But when he gets there, he will believe. Just like that woman. He says, I don't know you. In verse 12. But the king said, I don't know you. So stay awake and be prepared. Because you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Is the king coming back? Yes, he is. Do we know when he's coming? I have no idea. I have no idea when he's coming back. We can theorize that. We can do everything we want to. But we don't know when he's coming. But do you know there's no telling how many people today in the city of Dallas alone, probably right this second, in some hospital or on some highway or something, there's somebody taking their last breath right this second. And you know, the majority of the people that die in Dallas County today will open their eyes the next second in an eternal, flaming, fiery pit of hell that there's no way to get out of. You know that? Hell's real. Hell's real. We don't tell our children about this enough. We don't tell them the hell's real. Therefore, they go out and think, well, you know, it's okay. I can do this or I can do that. Everything will be okay. I can go out and hang out with the guys in the bar. I can get drunk. I can run around and have sex with these girls, you know. Oh, you know, it's no big deal. 
You know what happens if you die in that sin? You know what happens if you die in that sin? The next second, you're in hell. Is going around drinking a few beers and getting drunk worth spending eternity in hell for? Crawling in the back seat with some girl? Having a sexual relationship with her and dying in it? Is that worth spending your eternity in hell for? Somebody said, I don't believe I'll go to hell. Well, let me tell you, one second after you get there, you'll believe it. And then you'll be screaming, oh God, give me another chance. I won't never do that again. But you don't believe what the Word says. Just like right here. Jesus said, stay awake. Well, you don't know when I'm coming back. But I'm coming back. Then we got the story of three servants. How many of those girls made it? Half of them. How many of them didn't make it? Half of them. Only half of them got to come in. The other ones, he said, I don't know you. Verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a journey, a trip or a journey. He called together his servants. He called together who? His servants. And he gave them money to invest for him while he was gone. He gave five bags of gold to one. Now one says five talents. The King James says five talents. That's X number of pounds. I think it's 32 or 38 pounds, depending on whose interpretation you study. But if it's 32 or 38 pounds of gold, that's a lot of money. At today's prices, that's really a lot of money. But he gave one of them five bags of gold. And to one, two bags of gold. And to another, one bag of gold. Now today, if you had just one bag of gold, that you 38 pounds of gold, then you had one bag, what could you do with one bag of gold that weighed 38 pounds? You would be a rich person. You could do something with it. He didn't give him a dollar bill. He gave him a bag of gold. He gave these bags of gold to, to the last... He's dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left for his trip. Well, see, that's what the king did to you and me. He gave us all these gifts and all these abilities and all these things, and then he went back to heaven on a trip. He's preparing a place for those of us that he knows is going to stay with him. A mansion beyond your wildest dreams. The servant who received the five bags of gold began immediately to invest the money and soon doubled it. How do you, whenever you work for somebody, you go to work for somebody? For all you young men and women, and you old men and women too. I was a manager for a long time in a place of business. When I hired somebody to work for me, I wanted to see them working. I didn't want to see them standing around at the water fountain. I didn't want to find them in the cafeteria. I didn't want to find them in the ballroom reading the newspaper. 
One night there was a man that had been working for us. Nineteen years. I walked down into the truck shop that night. Normally, the managers only come in at seven or eight and go home at five. But we work 24 hours a day. And so you never know when I'm going to come in. I mean, I'm not a normal manager. I may be there from seven till six. And then I might come home and be back at 11 till 3. Or who knows when I'm out at a conference somewhere till 10 and then come by and stop in to see how everybody's doing at midnight. Some of the guys told this one man, they said, you know, you need to quit sleeping on the job. You can't never tell when Thurman's going to show up. So one night, I walked in right after the evening meal at midnight and I walked down into the shop and there sat one of the guys in a van with a seat laid back with his feet up on the dash with his mouth open he was snoring like crazy. He's supposed to be on the clock. I made note of what time it was. And I left. And about 30 minutes later, I casually walk back through, and he's still there. So, I mean, nobody knows I'm there. Finally, about 4 o'clock in the morning, I go out to the shop outside and get the lead. I said, you've been in the building in the last three or four hours? He said, no, sir. He said, I've been really busy out here working on this truck. I said, I know. I've walked by here several times, and I've seen you working diligently every time I walk by. But I said, I want you to come look at something. He walked up there and I said, look inside that van. I said, you see that man? He said, he's asleep. I said, yeah, he's been that way for the last four hours. I said, I want you to go back out and shop and work another half hour. Then I want you to come back and see if he's still asleep. He went outside. A half hour later, he come back in there, and I was still standing there. He walked in and said, he's still asleep, isn't he? I said, yeah, he's really snoozing. He must have really been tired. He slept four and a half hours now. I said, hit on the side of the car. So he reached up and hit on it. The guy jumped up and he said, oh, I must have dozed off. I said, yeah, you dozed off for four and a half hours. I have proof of it. Do you know what I did to that man? I fired him. He's stealing from the company. He had been with that company 19 years. When he come back and begged and pleaded for his job, I told him no. I said, you should have thought about that. I said, since I fired you, I have had many a man come to me and tell me, you've been doing this for ten years. I said, they tell me, this is not the first time. But said, no other manager has ever been here at night. And he always works nights. So he's been getting by with it for ten years. That's the way it's going to be one day when the king comes. The king is going to have a record of everything you and me did through our entire life. 
He'll know everything we did for Him and everything we did for ourselves. I got a feeling it's going to be a sad day for some of us. I can't imagine standing before the King, not knowing that I'm washed in the blood and that I've given my life everything I could for Him. At least everything I think I could. I've messed up a few times. I'm not perfect yet. But I can look out there at you and know that I'm in good company. Because we're all human beings, right? I ain't met one of you that's perfect yet. I'm going to have to be willing to say, I'm not perfect either. But our goal is perfection. That's the goal. Because the king is going to return. And you don't know when. How many of you plan to die today? Nobody held up their hand. Isn't that amazing? I don't plan to die tomorrow either. Or the next, or the next. But one thing I do know, somewhere down the line, death is inevitable. Is that right? And then the judgment. The king's coming. You don't know when he's coming. He may come today. I hope for you it's not today. But if he does come for you today, I hope you're ready. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. That's why he says, stay awake and pay attention. Because you don't know when I'm coming. Then he goes on down there after he gives these boys all this money. They went out and this one invested it. It says in verse 17, the servant with two bags of gold also went right to work and doubled the money. You notice he went right to work. He didn't go home and go to bed. He went right to work to do something for the kingdom. Then the next one says, And the servant, in verse 18, The servant who received the one bag of gold, he dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money for safekeeping. Let's see what, how the, see if this pleased the king. After a long time, how long has the king been gone so far? He'd been gone 2,000 years, hadn't he? That's a pretty long journey, isn't it? Do you know today, because the king's been gone for such a long journey, some people don't believe the kingdom of God is real. This is just fictitious stuff. Hell is not real. It's fiction. It is not real. There's no such thing as a hell. There's no such thing as consequences. We can do anything we want to do and everything's going to be fine. You hear that all over. Oh, and there's many ways to heaven. Besides that, a righteous and holy, loving God would not send anybody to hell. And they're right. He will not. He'll let you go there on your own. But He ain't going to send you. He made a set of rules. And if you do what He says... You get to go where he said, either way, heaven or hell. But he didn't like this boy that didn't do anything with his money. The talents or the gifts that he gave him. The servant to whom he had entrusted the, ba- the five bags of gold said, He 
called all of these boys to give an account for what they'd done with their money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used the money. And he's going to do that for every one of us sometime. Verse 20. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of gold said, Sir, you gave me five bags of gold to invest, and I have doubled, and I have ten. The master was full of praise. He was happy with this guy. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Many more responsibilities. What might the king give you one day? Think about this. If you've been faithful, what would you think if you had been a faithful servant, a son or a daughter of God, and he said, well done, faithful servant, and one day he comes up and puts his arm around you and says, come on, my child, go with me. And you go zipping off out there into the north, a few hundred trillion light years away, and he stops out there and he says, you know, the cosmos is getting a little crowded. You were faithful over a few things on earth. So now then, I'm going to give you the power to take my name and speak me a new set of galaxies into existence for other people to inhabit in the future. Can you only imagine that? No, you can't even imagine that. That's so far away from our mind. But do you know he may give us that one day? That may very well be one of the things he gives us the power to do. Right now, he says he's limited mine and your power to our speaking on earth. And most of us don't even believe that. Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have whatever you say on earth. Whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. He's given you unlimited power as a son or a daughter of his. And that poor lady, that Melanie said, let's pray. She said, we don't do that. That woman has been deceived by the God of this world. She has no clue what's rightfully hers. But most Christians don't know either. But when you start reading the book, wow. But the master was full of praise. Then he says here, in verse 22, Next came the servant who had received the two bags of gold with the report, Sir, you gave me two bags of gold to invest, and I have doubled the amount. I got four. The master said, look look what he said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now we'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. It doesn't appear to be any difference between the five and the two. He's going to give them both many more things to do, and he's going to praise with them and celebrate together with them. See, everybody on this earth is not given the same abilities. Some has great abilities. To do great things. And when God gives you that, what does He expect from you? Greater things. 
when he gives you a smaller ability, then he expects great things in that area. Some people, if you this today could get out of bed and get up and your legs work and your arms work and your head works and all your facilities work, you should be absolutely magnificently happy to begin to praise God. I don't care what all the trials and tests that are around you every day. You have them. They're there. Believe me. I have them just like you do. Maybe sometimes even more so. But let me tell you, the trials and tests comes to everybody. Nobody's exempt, right, Deborah? You're not, are you? You know that. Everybody has them. Then the servant with the one bag of gold came and said in verse 24, Sir, I know you are a hard man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth and here it is. He gave him one bag of gold. He gave him back one bag of gold. But the master said, you wicked and you lazy servant. Wicked and lazy servant. That doesn't sound like much praise to me, does you? I don't think I want to be welcomed like that with the king when he comes back. You think I'm a hard man, do you? Harvesting crops I didn't plant and gathering crops I didn't cultivate. Well, you should at least have put my money in the bank so I could have some interest. Anybody can do that, can't you? You don't have to be smart. And if you've got some money, you know today the average man that has anything, if he's worked his life away diligently and hard and invested and is worth something, and he's got a few hundred thousand or a few million or something, the man usually goes down and does some kind of a trust for his children, especially if his children are under 30. Because I'm going to tell you for sure that if you were to leave a million or five million or even a hundred thousand to a young person, a son or a daughter that was 15 years old and had access to the whole hundred thousand dollars, they would lose it all in a matter of a heartbeat. They could spend what daddy had took a lifetime saving. Of course, one of the things that bugs me to the nth degree if people don't know how to conserve. I mean, I think about walking into buildings, a whole floor, nobody there, and the air conditioner set on 68. Maybe ain't nobody be there for a weekend. Or every light in the house on. Never ceases to amaze me when people go and they can turn every light on closets. Lights, bathroom lights, hall lights, stairwell lights, everything, and then walk out and leave it all on. Well, let me tell you, when you get to where you have to pay the bills, you'll understand why Daddy comes along and says, turn off those lights. 
Turn the air conditioner up to 80 at night when you go to bed. You don't have to have it on 65. Turn it up. Run a ceiling fan. They don't cost very much. Take some clothes off. You know, sleep nude on top of the covers if you have to. If you're too hot. I'm going to answer that, and I hope you don't. I hope you don't take this wrong. I had a lot of problems in my life till I learned to speak to my body in faith, and since I've learned that, I don't have those no more. That's just like this little lady I'm married to up here. She had a because of her lack of knowledge. She had to have a hysterectomy when she was a young woman, and for 20 or 30 years she had been on some kind of hormones or something. How many years, honey? 26 years. When God brought her into my life, I told her, I said, no more. You can't be married to me and take hormone pills. You understand where I'm coming from, don't you, you ugly lady? I am a man of faith. And I spoke to her body, and I commanded her body. I said, when you get married to me, your body belongs to me. And it falls under subjection to my authority. So I said, in the name of Jesus, I speak to that body and command that body to produce all the hormones and everything it needs. And you ain't going to have no hot flashes. You're going to have none of these things. In fact, I've spoken to her body, I don't know how many times, by faith, and her body has totally changed. Now then, this goes back to the secret. The king says, in Matthew 17 and in Matthew 21, that if we have faith and don't doubt... Not in your head, but in your heart. If you have faith and do not doubt, nothing, nothing, nothing shall be impossible with you. See? Okay. She's learning. No problem. I had to learn too, so I know where this lady's coming from. I'm telling you, I had all kinds of things. I think that when I lay there and coughed after I had double pneumonia twice, it so affected my lungs that if I rolled over my back at night, I'd cough and hack and gag and I couldn't sleep. I had to sleep on my side or my stomach. I did that for months. I didn't know I could speak to my body. Was I a Christian? Yes. Was I in church? Yes. Did I know the Word of God? No. Had I read it? Yeah. Did I believe it? Absolutely not. Yeah. I'd read it, but I read it like a novel. I didn't believe it. You know, now I can tell you that I know I didn't believe it. But now then that I've stepped into the world of faith, when I speak in the name of the King, I expect it to happen. I have no fear. It's just like a while ago. Let me ask you this question. Whatever they'd done the little burp back there a while ago, we're just beginning to talk about demons. How many of y'all jumped? No, you have to hold up your hand. But I looked out there and saw almost everybody out there Almost every one of you jump like that. Why? Because you're not walking in faith. You know where I'm coming from? It's hard, isn't it? It most definitely is hard to believe these promises. Jesus said, if you have faith, nothing shall be impossible with you. Did he say that? He did, didn't he? 
So who do we believe? Either the flesh or the devil, but not God, right? Yeah. But the king, he loves faith. And he loves those that do what he says. Look what he said here. He says, in verse 28, he says, Take the money from the servant and give it to the one that had ten bags of gold. What? Why don't you give it to the poor? No, look what he says. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who are unfaithful... Even what little they have will be taken away. Now let me give you an example right here of what I'm talking about. In the church, many people come to this church wanting money. Many of them. And if they have a real need, and if it's somebody that's a member of this church that comes all the time and something happened and they need money, I will help them. And I may even help them with a very large sum of money. And I have done that for some of you. I'm talking into the thousands of dollars for some of you. But when those people say, I will pay you back, they have always paid me back. But when somebody walks in this church on a regular basis, week after week, and said, I need $100, I need $200, I need you to pay my $500 rent this month. If they keep on and keep on, there's something wrong with that person. I will help them for a while. But my mercy and my grace is going to run out on you pretty soon. You come in and say, I got a family, I got two kids, and I ain't got no money. We're hungry. Here's $100. Go buy your family and kids some groceries. But you come in next week and you still got the same problem. Did you want to look for a job? Well, I can't find one. I said, get off your duff and get out there and go to work as an able-bodied man. I don't want to hear that. If you can't work, something wrong with you. If you want to work, there's work out there. Somebody says, but I don't want to work for five bucks an hour. Well, work for five dollars an hour till you find something that pays ten or fifteen. But you've got to eat. Don't tell me you can't find a job that pays five or six bucks an hour where you can pay your groceries and then lay at home and watch TV and come in on Sunday and expect me to give you 150 or 200 more bucks for next week. I do that for a while for some people. And then finally, I have it. I'm just like the king. I say, no. In fact, I've told people that's come to this church, every time they come here, all they want is money. Or they're begging you for money. And when I find it out, I tell them, I don't want to see you in my church no more. If that's all you're coming here for is to get money from my people and from me. And every time I see you in this church, you're either asking somebody yourself, well, I'm believing God for $30 or believing God for $100 this week. And then you go up and start asking people, if you do that for a while and you don't get out there and find you a job, I'm going to tell you just like Paul did, if you don't eat, you don't work, you don't eat. Now you get out and go out there and go to work. We've had a few of those people in this church. But I'll help you for a while. But if you're not willing to go help yourself, then it's not my responsibility 
the Lord says right here in his word, he says, what you have will be taken away and given to them that has. Isn't that amazing? That God would do you like that? But look what he says. Now, verse 30. What did he call this guy? He says, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where do you think that is? Hell. Throw him into hell. A useless servant. He didn't do anything for the kingdom. Kind of scary, isn't it? It ought to make us want to get out there and do something. But you know, there's another verse in the Word of God. And John clearly says, if we don't produce fruit for the kingdom of God, he'll cut you off. He'll cut you off. Now, where do you go when he cuts you off? I don't know. Only he knows that. I cannot make that judgment. Only he makes that judgment. But I can assure you one thing. If you want to live a long, good life, you better produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Don't be this lazy, slothful guy that went out and dug the hole in the backyard and put what God gave you in the backyard. If you do, he's going to cut you off early. If he don't cut you off early, all three of these men, he came at the same time for all three of them. Two of them, he blessed them. But one of them, he called him a wicked, useless servant. And he said, throw this useless critter into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we want to know why we can't get God to do wonderful things for us. You know, we go out here and we find some man or woman that's walking under the anointing of God. God's answering your prayers and doing everything. You think, man, if God will do that for him, he'll do it for me. And you go up and you start praying. And you'll be kind of like that story I heard about this preacher down in Atlanta the other day. He's a great man of faith. I'll have to say, great man of faith. They were at a party. They were talking about faith. He said, I have great faith. One of the men said, okay, if you've got great faith, walk on the pool. He got a beautiful three-piece suit on. He said, I can do it. He said, I have that kind of faith. Now, he is a great man of faith. I'll have to say, got a great church. And so they kept giving him so much trouble till he had his three-piece suit on. He said, okay, and he just said, goes running. And he hits the top of that water with his shoes and just right down. And he's going down. He, comes, he said, Barbara, he said, God, I, he's trying, talking to himself as he's coming and said, Lord, I have faith. The Lord spoke to him just as clear. And he says, no, I know you have faith, my son, but you were showing out today. Reckons a little pride got in his way there. God didn't honor that pride, did he? Let him sink. See, God don't play games with us, does he? No, he's not a game-playing God. He knows when we have faith. He knows when we don't have faith. He knows. And how many people do I hear coming down and say, well, I want you to pray for me. I say, okay, what's wrong? Well, I got this or that. And I say, do you believe God will heal you or meet your need or whatever? Well, I, I sure hope he does, but he's got till Thursday. Today's Sunday. He's got till Thursday. What's happening Thursday? Well, I got a doctor's appointment, and they're going to do surgery on me Thursday. Now, have I ever been there and done that? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
You know, I have been there. I've lived that. I've walked that. I know how that is. And I know that very rarely will God ever show up for you when you do it like that. He did for me one time with my daughter. I mean, I prayed the prayer of faith. I was bold at church, the Baptist church. And I mean, my daughter had had, I saw on Saturday the, the stones in her gallbladder down into her bile duct. I looked at that on a sonogram. And when Dr. Black over a children, Cook's Medical Center, when Amanda was 15, 16 years old, he said, I have never seen a young girl her age with that many stones in her gallbladder and her bile duct in my life. Amanda looked up and she said, Daddy, does this mean I'm going to die? And he says, no, we now know what's wrong with you and we can fix you. Well, it really doesn't take place in my heart as to what we were talking about until that night when he come into the room and said, now Amanda... What you've got is very serious. We'll have to cut a four-inch hole in your side. We'll go down in there and take your gallbladder off, out. And then we're going to have to run a rotor-rooter down through your bile duct into your stomach because it's going to tear up a lot of stuff and it's going to bleed. And those things are going to, some of them's going to get on down into your intestines and you're going to be bleeding. And so he said, then we'll have to put a couple of tubes in your back to drain the cavities because you'll bleed internally into the inner cavities of your body. But this time, this is serious stuff to me. That's my baby they're going to cut open like that. So I got just enough of the Word of God in me that next morning at church. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, I was in church and my little Baptist preacher with his master's degree from the seminary. I told him, I said, we're going to pray for my daughter today. I said, before we close this service out today, that doctor told me how serious the surgery was going to be. And said, they're going to do it in the morning at 7 o'clock. I said, before we leave here today, we're going to pray for my daughter. I mean, I was serious. Well, we go all the way through the service. And we go to the end and we close out and go home. And nobody mentions my baby. I go home that afternoon. I go back down to the hospital, sit with her till time to church. And I come back for church. When I walk in the door, I grab that preacher by the shoulder. I said, you messed up big time this morning, but you ain't going to do it tonight. He said, what do you mean? I said, I asked for prayer for my baby. Oh, he said, Thurman, I'm so sorry. I said, I guarantee I'm going to sit on the back row tonight. And I'm going to sit right next to the door. And when you close this service, when you look up, when you say you're dismissed, if you see an old guy standing there with his hands across that door, you know you've messed up again. He said, we'll pray for her first thing. Sometimes you have to get a Baptist preacher's attention. So the first thing we did was stop and prayed for my daughter. Three or four or five different people prayed. And I prayed. And I know I prayed in faith. I thought. Isn't that amazing how you think you pray in faith? But what did I do? I went back down there the next morning. And I went in. And they wheeled a man in. And I never said a thing. Just take her right on in there. Am I a dummy or am I a dummy? Absolutely it makes me so ashamed of myself for the little bit of faith I have as a son of God. Sometimes it makes me feel so dumb. Here we prayed to the king of the universe to take the gallstones out of her and to clean up her bile duct and make it like brand new. Well, what we think we're going to get? Obviously nothing. That's where we live, right, Steve? Unfortunately, that's where we live as Christians. 
Because Dr. Black and they come wheeling her right in. I watched her. She went by. And I, love you, honey. <laughs> Rolled her right in there. Dr. Black come by and he said, now you know this is going to be a minimum of a four-hour surgery. I said, okay. In less than an hour, he comes walking out that door. I'm standing, sitting right there watching that door. In about an hour or less than an hour, he walks out and I jump up and I say, Dr. Black, there's something wrong. He said, you did sit there with me yesterday or Saturday on that sonogram. You did see those stones in her gallbladder, did you? I said, yes, sir. He said, you did see them in her bile duct. I said, yes, sir. I saw them all. He said, I reached in her. I cut this big hole in her side. I reached in her, cut the gallbladder off and looked in it, and it's like a brand new one. There ain't nothing in it. And he said, I opened a little bile duct and looked down in it, and it looks like a brand new one. There's not a stone nowhere. So he said, I took one little stitch at the end of it, and he said, I had to sew her back up. I'm so sorry that I'm going to leave that big old scar on her side. That's, that's where we are as Christians. We don't have no faith. When I prayed that night, you know what I should have done? Next morning I went down there and said, Doc, you do another sonogram because there ain't going to be no stones in that bile duct or that gallbladder. That's where I should have been, right? Have I all been there all my life? Unfortunately, I have not been. That's a shame, isn't it? We're children of the King. And He gave us a book full of promises. And He told us if we would do things, what He would do. But he also told us if we don't do what he'll do, he said again what he'll do. And this, kid, this servant that didn't do what he told him to do, that didn't do nothing, what did he call him? You useless, worthless critter. How would you like for the king one day to tell you? You worthless thing. I don't want to hear that, do you? No, ma'am. Not from the king. You can tell me that. It don't carry no weight. You can tell me you're worthless if you want to. But God... If he tells me I'm useless, worthless in the outer darkness, then I'm beginning to really sweat. Because he has the power to do that. You don't. But the king says there, Throw the useless servant into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He was one of the servants. But he didn't do anything. This is scary stuff. But you know today Christians say, oh, that's okay. I walked down the aisle and got saved 30 years ago. No, I'm not going to church very much. I never tithe. And I don't ever read the Word. But one day, when we all get to heaven, it's going to be great when we get to heaven. Don't be surprised. You may never get there. You may not be one of the fortunate ones. Because you were the useless servant that didn't do anything with what He gave you. Scary, isn't it? It's written in a book. I didn't write the book. I have to be accountable to this book just like you do. And this is not some game we're playing. Today, people don't believe there's a hell. People in church don't believe there's a hell. People don't teach their children that there's a hell. But there is. Verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him... Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. He's coming. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate them as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. He's coming. 
the king is coming. I mean, he's really coming. One day he's coming. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And he will know the difference between sheep and goat. We may all look the same, but I guarantee when I go out in the pasture, if i got to separate the sheep from the goats, there ain't no problem. I can get the sheep all in that pen and the goats all in that pen, and I guarantee I can tell the difference between a goat and a sheep. So I don't have no problem. And he's going to be able to see just that same thing with us. He's going to know who's the sheep. He's going to know who's the goats. Then he says, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will tell them, I assure you. When you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. That's the part that we miss. When we give people things, we're doing it in his name. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire. Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. How would you like to think that you were going to spend eternity in the eternal fire with the devil and his demons? I can think of a lot of places I'd like to go, but that's not one of them. Would you? No way do I want to go to spend not a minute. In fact, I'm going to tell you. I spent at least 30 years with at least one demon living in my flesh that I know of. I may have others that I don't know of, but I know one that I had for 30 years and I didn't know it was in there until God told me one day he was in there. And it had caused a sickness in my body for 30 years. And when the king told me that I had a demon living in my body and I commanded that demon to leave in his name, the name of Jesus, that 30-year problem I'd had was gone in a heartbeat, and I've never had it again since that day. So I know I lived with a demon, at least one, for 30 years, and I didn't like what he brought to my house. You didn't like what he brought to yours either, did you, young lady? Hold I better kick them little beasts out and get well, isn't it? Ooh, and you get up in the morning and have that energy. Not spend all your money for that medicine no more. Gee, you can go out and do something for the kingdom now, right? Glory to God. That's what makes the difference. Then he says here, For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me into your home. I was naked and you gave me no clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will cry, Lord, 
When do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I assure you, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Think about this now. I want you to turn to John 20. Verses 24 through 31. I want you to see what the king thinks about faith. In John 20, 24, one of the disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him. We have seen the Lord. I can just see Thomas saying, yeah, sure you have. I saw him too hanging on that cross. I saw him nail him up there. I saw him run a sword into his side. I saw blood and water come out. I saw him placed in that tomb. Sure you've seen the king. Yeah, big deal. That's just like us. That's the way we are. We've seen the king. But he replied, I won't believe it. Man, isn't that amazing? We tell people Jesus has already healed you on the cross. Yeah, I don't believe that. You know, you can ask for anything and he'll do it for you, Sharon. You believe it now, don't you, girl? Sharon gets her prayers answered, praise God. But she didn't always get her prayers answered. But none of us did. None of us did. We didn't know what faith was. I will not believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And I have to put my fingers into them. And I have to place my hand up into his side. Or I will not believe. You know what I call that kind of faith? Sense knowledge faith. That's the kind of faith that comes with your five physical senses. That's the kind of faith everybody had back in the day when Jesus walked on the earth. They didn't have revelation faith. That's what you and I have to have today. That's the new requirements. They had sense knowledge faith. They saw. They smelled. They tasted. They could handle him. They saw he was there. They had sense knowledge faith. But in the book of Romans, God set aside a new kind of faith. He'd done away with it. In fact, He actually started it in the book of Acts. No more sense knowledge faith. From this day forth, you must believe the revelation of it is written. How many of you in this room have seen Jesus? Oh. I mean, literally seen Him walk into your room? You've seen Him walk into your room? You've seen him in a physical form? Some of you have, maybe, huh? Okay. I never have. I have not seen the king. The king has not walked in and said, Hi, I'm the king. I've never seen that. I've heard his voice. I don't know many of you have heard his voice. And I know some of you have seen him. I've talked to people who have seen the king. But boy, there's a very few in the church that get to see the king. Very few. But see, he expects you and me to believe his word. 
the revelation faith. He left us his last will and testament. But Thomas, he didn't believe it. Then it says eight days later, verse 26, the disciples were together and this time Thomas was with them. Now the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He said, peace be unto you. Now there was nobody standing there and all of a sudden he's standing there. In other words, he stepped through the veil. Do you know right here in this room, there's angels walking up and down looking at you right now? Then they're looking and saying, hmm. He's looking. And they're looking at the attitude of your heart. Why did you come to church today? The angel said, hmm, let me write down. I know what her name is. Let me write down why she's here. Let me write down the attitude of her heart. You can't see them, but they're here. Did you know the king is here too? He's walking around amongst us. We probably got a whole bunch of angels sitting up here right now. They're looking, watching, having a good time. All they got to do to manifest is step through the veil. If one of them were to step through that veil, and you were to see one of these 12-foot angels with two big wings this big that spread out, all of a sudden he manifests right here. Most of us would probably scream or run out the door. We're in church. That's where these guys are supposed to be. We ought to expect these kinds of manifestations. Right? But why do they not do this? Because they know it scares the socks off of us. We're human beings not walking in faith. Just like Thomas. Then he said to Thomas, spoke to him directly, Put your finger here in my hand, Thomas. Some of you see that hole right there in my hand. Isn't that amazing that I just held I thought about that when I raised that up. You see that bloody spot in the middle of my hand? You know how I did that? Putting screws in with a screwdriver. Turning it fast, running these screws in, and I wore all the skin off of my hand. But I think, what if that was a hole about twice that size right through there? And it was all the way through. You could see through it. Put your finger in there. It's got to be big if you can put your finger in there, right? It wasn't some little bitty spike that nailed Jesus. It wasn't a 16-penny nail that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was a big iron spike. And they drove that spike through his hand. So he held his hands up and you could see plumb through them. He said, come over here, Thomas. Put your finger in those holes in my hand. Then he says, come over here and run your hand in my side. Stop being faithless. Believe. Look what he says. Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Look what Thomas did. Wow. My Lord and my God. It might help a few of us if we had an experience like that. It might bring some of you that are kneeless 
to your knees if you could really see the glory of God. Look what he said. My Lord and my God. If you were to be standing in the presence of the king in his glorified state right now, Deborah, you couldn't stay sitting in that chair. There's no way if he were to raise his hand and say, look, my daughter, here I am. Yes. But the king, we cannot, we don't realize the magnificence of who he is and what he's done. As a little kid, you know, I went to church and I listened to preachers preach about Jesus. I had no idea what the king done for me. I really had no idea. But when I got a whole lot older, I began to understand the creation was nothing. The redemption was something else. God's greatest work is redeeming this bunch of wicked people that we have become. Wow. Are we grateful for that redemption? Because if it wasn't for that redemption, you know where every one of us would spend eternity? In that godless hell with that devil. Oh, I can't even fathom that. Look what he said. Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. How difficult is it for you and me to believe these writings of the king when we can't see him? Almost impossible. That's why I didn't see any miracles or healings for the first 40 years of my life. Because I lived in total sense, knowledge, faith. Well, one day I realized he is really the king of kings. He is really the God of gods. And this book is really his word. And it has great demands. And if I will do what he says, then he will do what he says. Then when I speak in his name and by faith in his name, you get to see God do great and awesome things beyond your wildest dreams. And then when you start trying to tell this to people in your own church, they think you're crazy. Steve laughs at that because he knows. Paul laughs at that because he knows. But let me tell you, I run into a young man in the grocery store the other day that goes to a church I used to go to. He walked over and said, Thurman. And I shook his hand. I said, praise God, son, how you doing? He said, I'm good. He said, last deacon's meeting, we, we talked about you. I said, well, what did you all talk about me? He said, I brought you up. He said, I told him, you know. Thurman used to try to tell us these mighty things were really true and that they really worked. And so we kind of laughed at him. Said he finally got fed up with us and went out on his own. He said, now then, he's paid the price. He's done what God says and look what God's doing. Look how God's blessing him. Look what he's doing. Look what his ministry is doing. Look at the people's lives that they're touching and changing. And said, people... That hear his material, their lives are changed forever. Only one difference between him and us. He believed and he paid the price to walk with God and we didn't do it. He says, I'm ashamed of myself. 
I said, well, don't be. Repent and start doing something for God. It's never too late. The grace of God, it's wonderful, isn't it? If it wasn't wonderful, I couldn't have started at 40. If I'd have only known this when I was 15. Right, Paul? If I could have only known it when I was 10, how different my life would have been. The king says here, Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. Verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have eternal life in heaven. If it wasn't for this book, I couldn't go there. If I had not read in the book, repent of all sin, and then I will heal you. If I had not read that, I would have not known that sickness and disease comes upon us because of sin. So, but after I learned that, I do my best to not walk in sin. Because I know the consequences of sin. And I don't want to go there. I don't want those consequences. But God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't treat any of us any different except one thing. To those much has been given, much is required. He puts up with less nonsense from his big boys and girls than he does with his little boys and girls. But what if you want to be a little boy or a little girl all your life? Well, if you want to be the little one and say, well, I'm not going to do anything with what you give me. I'm just going to hide mine in the backyard and wait till you come again. Do you want to be that servant? Mm-mm. You might say, well, if I don't know anything, don't hold me accountable. If I study and learn and do all, he's going to really hold me accountable. Well, the guy that had five that doubled it and made ten, he'd give him Great in many things to be responsible for. And then the one that didn't do nothing, what did he do with it? He gave it to him too. Now he had 11 bags of gold. And he said to him that much is given, much shall be required. And if you have, much more will be given to you. People call the ministers that are all the time needing a miracle in finances. I have trained the staff. The first question you ask, are you going to church and are you a tither? If you're not going to church, you're not going somewhere on a regular basis and you're not tithing, forget it. You're living under a curse and there ain't nothing we can do to help you. Well, will you pray that God will make me be a tither? No. Just start tithing. I don't have to pray about something God commanded you to do. Do I? Is he going to do any good for me to pray? I remember one time I was in a Kenneth Hagin meeting. And he was up there in the front and he said, There is things that God is limited in doing. And a man over here on the front row, he jumped up and he said, Kenneth Hagin, that's not true. God can do anything. And this Kenneth Hagin said, If he can do anything, why don't he make you tithe? 
Jim Thaker said, where did that come from? He said, I don't know that man. I ain't never seen him in my life. He's at a visiting church. He said, they got to slither down under the seat and never said another word. Now see, God can't make you tithe, can He? God can't make you go to church. He gave you a free will. God can't make you do anything. You have to give Him the privilege, and then He can do great things. When you say, Lord, here I am, use me if it's possible. And when you get to the point where you realize with Him nothing's impossible, then you walk up and say, here I am, God. I know I'm an unworthy, useless nothing, but whenever I come into your kingdom, you made me the righteousness of God in Christ. So, Lord, if you want to do something with this piece of junk, make something out of it. And he said, okay, now we're getting somewhere. You die and I'll do, I'll do something with you. All you got to do is do what I tell you. And if you will, what is the limitations with God and you? Nothing. Nothing. When you pray and speak in faith, nothing is difficult for God. But if you're not willing to pay that price, you won't ever get to see God do nothing miraculous. Father, lay on our hearts the seriousness of hell. That is a real place. An awful place. And Lord, as I read this scripture, it appears in the scripture you talk more about hell than you did about heaven. So Lord, it must be very important. Help us to realize, Lord, that it is necessary that once in a while we talk about this godless, awful place called hell that you've designed for Satan and his demons. But those that do not put you first, that do not love you, do not serve you, they will die and go to that place. To help us, Lord, to tell them. So they will, if nothing else, stand in fear of this place. Lord, I don't want to go there. And I don't want to see nobody go there. It's an awful place. But Lord, heaven is so magnificent. It's so glorious. And we will be studying the Word of God in heaven. We'll have Bible studies in heaven. We will enjoy them. And we will become perfectly trained. Because none of us are going to be perfectly trained here on this earth. But you've told us if we would diligently seek you and be perfectly trained, which is a possibility, that we could do the same things you do. And the closer we get to being perfectly trained, the greater becomes the answers to our prayers and the greater becomes the miracles. So Lord, help us to strive diligently this week and every week in the future to diligently seek you and to be perfectly trained. We want to see your glory. We want to walk with you. And Lord, one day when we get home, we want to be the servant that had the ten bags of gold. Definitely not the one with one. We don't want to hear you say, you useless servant. We want to hear you say, well done, faithful servant. So Lord, bring that home to us this week. That we will diligently seek you. And we love you. And we worship you and we praise you for the privilege to have the written word of the living God. And use us this week mightily. Lord, for this ministry, the living Savior ministry that you've given to me and to this team that you've given me to put together 
May we go places and do things, and we may do things in such a way that will bring such glory and honor to your name. And Lord, as we go and pray for people, and people get convicted and they repent of their sins, we ask you to heal and do mighty signs and miracles and wonders for the people so they will know that Christ lives in us. That you're alive and well today as you've always been and will forever be. Thank you, Father. Thank you for forgiving us all of our sins. Thank you for washing us in your blood. This great and awesome privilege of redemption and this washing of your blood is beyond my wildest dreams. But Lord, right now, today, this moment, I can stand and say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me of every sin, known and unknown. And I can stand right here, right this moment, in my white gown, clean and pure at this very second. Clean and pure by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for that privilege that only you can do. And I'm grateful for that. Help me, Lord, to keep my robe clean and white. That we're the day that does come when I do come home to be with you. When you bring me home, I want to come home clean and pure. And I want to come home. I want you to say, well done. That's all we want to hear. Thank you, Father, for being our God. And sending your son to pay the price for us. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to go to that awful place called hell. But that we get to go to heaven by accepting Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.